This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery. Bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to A Complete History of Manchester United. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films, joined, as always, on this walk down Old Trafford memory lane by the legendary football writer Paddy Barkley. If you're watching the video, please give it a like and subscribe and join in the conversation in the comments section, even if you're watching it on replay as well. We always will get back to the um, comment section there and, and reply to any thoughts that you might have. If you're listening to the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you are listening on. Um, last time, Paddy, we looked at the 44-45 season and the almost near-complete transition of the 1948 team to the Busby Babes. Yeah. And this time round, uh, that transformation is going to be complete. The transition is complete. Um, and it's quite brutal in the way that some of these youngsters come in. And one of the things that we'll talk about in, in future episodes, or, you know, in a long time to come, the Ferguson era, one thing that I think often gets overlooked is the um, transition within the transition. So it's not always yes. about the team that he took over. It was about, you know, ending the careers of Donaghy and, and Jim Layton and, and players yes. like that. And that's very much the case with Busby. You know, a lot of these young lads who he's bringing into the side are um, almost brutally not, not cut by the wayside by Busby, but by, by, by their peers that were breaking through. He said. No, but it, 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 it's, it's a sort of a source of revenue for the club because yeah. the, the crowd of, uh, sorry, the cost of this team, which as you rightly say, has moved on completely now. In fact, Another way of putting it, instead of referring back to the 48 team, was to talk about the, the 48 team's last hurrah, which was winning the title in 51-52. <clears throat> Only two members of that team, that's uh, Roger Byrne, who burst so dramatically into the team, largely as an outside left in the title-winning side of 51-52, and Johnny Berry, who was, of course, bought from Birmingham. Those were the only two left now in this 1955-6 season from the title winning season of four four years earlier so that's a uh, an indication of how that churn went but churn using that awful word churn I'm, i take that word back what i mean is transition which as you more much more elegantly put it but when i talk about the i mean the sales eddie lewis as, as it goes to preston now Ten thousand pounds he brings in. That's Big Eddie, who, who was nearly killed by by Ray Wood for stealing his brill cream, as listeners of the previous um, episode will remember. Eddie Lewis picks up a, a very handy ten thousand from Preston North End, and the team that 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 that, that we're talking about this season only only Ray Wood. Um, Johnny Berry and Tommy Taylor, who's from the famous £29,999 transfer. Um, they're the only three that have been bought, and they cost nearly £60,000. But much of that was recouped in the, in the sales of people like Eddie Lewis and so on. The best part of £40,000 is the team uh, is actually this, this team we we're talking about, 55 6, this team of such potential. Uh, has actually, because of the youth production, has only cost a net 20,000 at most. 
Yeah, and Busby's boast of it being worth two hundred thousand pounds. I think everyone no, would be. Yeah, no, it's I, been it's been proved because the the Chelsea team who've just won the title, uh, they'd been built uh, by under the managership of Ted Drake um, for for a hundred thousand pounds. So it kind of justifies. Uh, if United win the league. And of course, we'll have to wait till the episode, end of the episode to find out if United can repeat their 51-2 feet and become champions of England. It's going to be made that much difficult this episode, Paddy, because um, conscription is now uh, part of um, the football um, political escape, really, because the players are being um, drafted into the army to do two years national service. Yes. Uh, that means... It's a good thing, too. Best thing, best thing for them. It is, but it's largely felt. <laughs> you know, it was it was really felt that this was a good thing for young men. A couple of uh, a couple of years in the in in the services, although footballers tended to <clears throat> receive certain privileges. Yeah, it, the strange thing is with the how it affects United is throughout this period you would, and really this shows you the value of Murphy and Molly's work in the um, sort of two or three years beforehand. Mm -hmm. The seamless way in which those players were playing was a, a actual product of the fact that they were always playing every single day and training every single day together. Mm -hmm. There was mm -hmm. they were there all the time. They were aware of each other's movements, and it made this shape of three, two, five so easily transitionable when a player moved out of the side. So Edwards would be moonlighting between any of the, the teams that he was playing for, and United could bring in an, another halfback who didn't have anything like Edward's stature, but he had his own mm. capabilities. And we'll be talking about that, those kind of individual qualities as this episode goes on. And that was the beauty of what United were doing. So, in a strange way, even though it should have been impacted by the conscription, mm. the fact is that these players, by the way, what conscription meant were these players would be stationed as like, so Edwards and Bobby Charlton went down to um, Shrewsbury, they were in Nescliffe in Shrewsbury, so they were missing all yeah. week from training. They weren't yeah. training with the clubs. They were fortunately sometimes training with some of the teammates, but not all of them and not all of the time. So they've been recalled for the games. And <laughs> even then, not so, always, if they if the army team was playing a game, they would often get preference to United. I mean, United, every football club was having this problem. They were having to combat. I mean, the number of times you'd see the Western Command playing over the... So uh, Edwards, Duncan Edwards would play often them as often as uh, for Manchester United so um, a really really big handicap for professional clubs to handle in this time wasn't it I mean it, it was and it was it was how really they handled it and you've alluded to it this sort of knowledge throughout the squad of the Manchester United way of playing which which was a flexible by the way as we'll find out because you've dug out a, a wonderful um, cutting um, which describes the uh, the flexibility of the style of play. But I, I found a cutting of my own from the Telegraph, from uh, Donald Saunders, the football correspondent at the time, a man I knew, by the way, towards the end of his career and the, be the beginning of mine. Very nice chap, always angry. And uh, But on this occasion, I mean, he wrote about a, a, a midwinter performance by United at Luton, where they were playing beautiful play football on the snow literally on snow and um and 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 he made the point that three edwards and a couple of other fantastic players were away playing for the army so they had to bring in three others and the football was seamless the transition was seamless uh they all they, they played the, the same style and um uh, you know he wasn't alone, Donald Saunders, in making this point that no wonder Busby looks so happy or satisfied because he he's able to bring in people and, and the performance doesn't suffer. And uh, the point was also made at around the same time by um, by Don Reavy, who you know been footballer of the year the previous year and watched a, a midweek uh, derby in the Central League. And he marveled at this football, which he, he said reminded him in style of the great Hungarians. And Busby would have loved, lapped that up because the, the great Hungarian side was uh, was his favourite, really, um, apart from his own. And um, 
and, uh, and and not only compared them with that, but more or less implied that he can lose his whole team, and those that, that central league reserve side would be good enough to play in the first division. Um, and he said, "No wonder, Buzz, we're so happy." He was, but he also um, installed a little bit of discipline earlier on in the season, and you would think that that would be quite difficult to do with the fact that a lot of these players were going away. There are a couple of episodes uh, that I'd like to talk about that um, happened around this time, maybe not in um, the, the strict calendar um, calendar schedule of this season, but in, in this era they were happening. And they're good examples of Busby's discipline uh, when he had the players around him. One of them was about Duncan Edwards. He was riding his bicycle in, in sail without, um, without headlights and he was caught by a policeman and he thought that um, Busby hadn't found out. Yeah, but he did. Um, he then, did. He, he found out the following morning. Uh, I think that was the previous season. That was after a um, a derby. Do you remember the previous season? They lost a, a derby. Yeah, uh, well, they lost a few derbies actually to City. But they, <clears throat> um, yeah, he was apparently riding his bike unsteadily. Now Duncan wasn't a heavy, wasn't a habitual boozer, so. Uh, I'm not going to throw any allegations around that his unsteadiness was due to anything other than a weariness after the match. But uh, he was driving home. The policeman stopped him. He thought he'd got away with it. Um, and the following day, Busby uh, um, asked him about it. So the the spying network was, um, dare I say it, comparable only with the... Um, Dragnet that Sir Alex Ferguson, through all of his contacts, was to establish later. Uh, once the players in Ferguson's day had moved out to the leafy suburbs of Cheshire, but there was no hiding place if they found themselves in a nice little pub in um, when they when they weren't authorised. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson would get to find out about it, and Busby. Very, we've drawn comparisons so many times between Busby and Ferguson. Busby was very much, he had that network of yeah. <clears throat> of chums all over the greater Manchester uh, area. So nothing happened, or very little, without his, his knowledge. Yeah, um, Edwards, star man in the early weeks of the season, uh, acting, following on from the, the previous campaign where his star had really sort of um, blown up and he was seen as the main man in this United side. Um, yes. It was very influential in an early season win at Spurs, Paddy. Um, he scored mm. both goals. And I want to um, tell a recollection from Wolf McGuinness, which is poetic um, and has a little bit of poetic license, but we'll come to that in a moment. He, he describes the, sec the second goal like this. He says, I remember Bobby Smith going by a couple of players. Bobby Smith's one of the Spurs forwards. Uh -huh. He was about to put the ball into the empty net, but Big Dunk put his foot there and the ball stayed still. Bobby went flying into the net. Duncan <laughs> yeah. looked up. He played the ball to Eddie Coleman, who swiveled his hips like he was prone to do, sending their players the wrong way. He backheeled the ball to Duncan. Duncan hit the ball. It must have been 50 yards below head height, all the way to David Pay on the left wing. He played it to Bobby Charlton, lay run through his legs, and then curled a pass into the Spurs off. Who should be there running to collect the ball? Duncan. He chased by some Spurs players. Others were in front. He dribbled delicately past the first, smashed through the second, the third got out of the way, and from 30 yards, Duncan let rip a roaring drive of thunderous power, and everyone cheered the great Duncan Edwards. Now, if you if you could hear that in Wilf McGuinness's voice, and I'm sure there are those of that on YouTube, um, I advise you to listen to it. It's a great story. The accuracy of that particular recollection, and I know Wilf would have told that anecdote a thousand times, not quite 100% because, um, as we'll come to see, Charlton hadn't made his debut yet. Neither had Eddie Coleman. <laughs> and Peg wasn't playing on the day. But mistaking <laughs> of the key casts because um, the story is great. And, and when you look back through the records, those are the only goals that Edwards scored at Whitehall Lane. So yeah. it stands to reason. By all accounts, Edwards did score a drive from 30 yards, which was the ah. second goal. And um, you can allow but, but Wilf, Wilf, Wilf's given us a sense of it I, yeah. I, despite your pernickety um, uh, <laughs> reservation that's, <laughs> that's so funny 
but uh, yeah, um, the, the, it, it sounds like a great goal as well. That was Wolf's. It, it was his, his early um, invention of the FIFA game. You know, <laughs> um, but as we're talking about um, United, sort of graduating from that inconsistency they had in the previous season. They were still losing a couple of games in the early part of this campaign, but they were winning the big statement games like they won at Spurs. They played Wolves at Old Trafford. McGinnis actually coming in in this game for Edwards, Edwards away um, on his other duties. An incredible Mm. game at Old Trafford, Paddy. Wolves are winning 2-1 at one point. United are winning 1-0 at half-time. Wolves turn it around to win 2-1. And then United just pile uh, uh, one of those traditional Busby blasts where they score yeah. two or three goals in a short uh, period of time. Yeah. Six of the seven goals in this game, 4-3 to United. Six yeah. of the seven come after the hour mark. An incredible statement win from There was United. a sort of feeling that if you beat Wolves, Wolves was a sort of four-pointer, uh, yeah. you know, as, as the two points for a win. But it was a, a, a victory that meant more because it was against Wolves. <clears throat> who were such a, a leading club at that time under Busby's friends, Stan Cullis. And, uh, you know, to win a thriller like that, you know, would, as I say, you know, was probably worth more than the two points um, because what it's what it seemed to mean. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, still prone to losing the odd game, but generally it was through, we've talked about it in the last episode, Edwards is sort of exuberant, sometimes wanting to be everywhere. And, and yeah. that was by all of the other players and occasional naivety. Sometimes even, and you, maybe this is a little bias, a favourable bias on looking back at, with romanticism, but they didn't realise how good they were and they wanted to win all these games like so soon. They, this sort of calmness and confidence had to come with age and it was coming throughout the season because some of those draws and defeats from the previous season were now turning to wins that put United top of the league in early 1956. Yeah. You mentioned the um, report that I dug up. I do want to read through that one now. Um, hey, but, uh, before before you do, can I just, I've, I've completely forgotten when you mentioned Wilf McGuinness, I've forgotten the story. Can I just tell you a story? Absolutely. That's uh, why we're here. First, before, before we, because uh, Wilf, as you rightly pointed out, was brought in for Duncan Edwards in the Wolves game, despite, you know, it was a huge game. But Jimmy Murphy, and I know you're a fan. I mean, everybody listening to this will be a, a fan of Jimmy Murphy's memory. And and uh, Jimmy uh, said to Wolf, who was not yet 18, he was 17 and 300 days or something when he made his debut. <clears throat> and he Wolf never needed much winding up. You know, he was a real battler and uh, is. And uh, and Murphy said to him, son, what are you going to do with your win bonus today after we've beaten Wolves? And he said, uh, well, I'm going to give it to, to my mother. And he said, right, well, remember this. Because he was, up, he was playing against Wolves' most skillful player, Peter Broadbent, English international, and a lovely man, by the way. And... Um, and... Uh, so uh, Murphy says to him, well, if you don't win, because you're up against Peter Broadbent, your mum will lose that money because Broadbent will have stolen it from you. <laughs> the wealth goes out. And before the start, Broadbent, who's a real sportsman as well as a nice player, a lovely player, goes over to the young kid and in sportsmanlike way, goes over to him and says, all the best, son. Hope you have a good game. <laughs> Wolf still wound up and he says to him, and you keep your hands out of my fucking pockets. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's Jimmy Murphy's motivational skills for you. But sorry, you were going on because you had you, you had something to read us. No, uh, yeah, so United uh, had overcome the City who do. They beat uh, Man City on New Year's Eve um, 2 yeah. 1 after all those um, defeats that they'd suffered against them. So Taylor and Violet had sort of exercised this who do. It looked like United were now on the, you know, they were top of the table. It looked like they were going to, um, well, they were in a really favourable position to challenge for the title now. And in the build up to the game against Sheffield United, there was a special correspondent report in The Guardian. And he, he was talking about United's chances and the evolution of the Busby style. And as Paddy said earlier, we do like to 
go back and read some of these old clippings because they really do give a flavour of um, what United were doing at the time. So um, Manchester United's been at the top of the first division table of the Football League at the turn of the year is yet one more proof of the outstanding quality of the club's post-war team building. The early discovery of young players who will develop into outstanding footballers is not a process simple of analysis nor even of definition. The extreme youth and the lot and ease in ball play of many of these who now join his club, his being Busby's, of course, um, and the large proportion of them to emerge as capable players suggest that they are selected largely on the premise that the boy who has developed true ball skill by his early teens is usually ripe for expert development. Thence, it appears that the traditional skills as demanded by classic football still prove the effective material for modern play of greater speed. It is probably significant that Busby and Murphy were both international wing-half backs of constructive bent. Players in the position which preeminently demands football, blending attack and defence, strength and control and flexibility in tactics. This helps to explain to the balanced linking of a defence with attack and the teams they have produced. One of the most important features of their production of players is that for all the em emphasis upon mastery of the elementary skills, there has been no move, as might have been understandable, if not commendable, towards any form of stereotyped Manchester United football. Mm -hmm. Each player has been encouraged to develop his particular gifts and urges to the advantage of the team, so that the dash of one, the shooting power of another, the mm -hmm. speed of a third, the long passing of a fourth, have been exploited in harness with the ranging of a fifth, the mobility of a sixth, the plodding steadiness of a seventh. Mm. Variety has been achieved without loss of balance through mutual understanding of the game's problems upon which the players are encouraged to think for themselves. Most of the successful post-war football uh, teams have employed a particular style of play, mm. such as long ball and straight wing running of Wolverhampton Wanderers, the quick clearing and wedge forward formation of Newcastle United, the close passing of Tottenham Hotspur, the massed defence and breakaway method of Arsenal. There is, however, no characteristic Manchester United style. Aiming to produce players of all-round ability, the mm -hmm. club's planners have sought to place in the team the varied skills necessary to meet and defeat every type of play with which they may be faced. Thus, from match to match, Defensive formation or attacking method may vary. Clearances may be long or short. Attacks may be developed along the wings or through the middle. Paddy, there mm. is no characteristic Manchester United style. Mm, yeah. Incredible analysis, isn't it? Really. It, 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 is, it is that because <clears throat> without that sort of insight, and, and it's a pity that they didn't give named bylines in, in, in press reports in those days. I think that was from a special correspondent, something like that. Um, so we don't know who it was, whether it was someone who was in the game or, or whether it was just a, a particularly well-informed journalist. Um, but I, without that, I would have always assumed that Manchester United were in the mould of, of, of Arthur Rose, Tottenham, you know, short-passing, progressive style uh, that you might, I suppose, compare with Manchester City today. Um, and and um, that gives a much more textured picture um, and reminds us, really, that you talk about wing halves, you know, the, the, the deeper of the two midfield players, that, um, that Ma this Manchester United team had Edwards and Coleman, or Edwards and Whitefoot, Jeff Whitefoot, uh, before, um, and they, the, the Coleman or Whitefoot would be the little, uh, in, in Coleman's case, Snake Hips, as he was known after an American entertainer, uh, because he, he had that shimmy and that flexibility of the hips that could bamboozle players. Wolf referred to it in that um, a perhaps slightly fictional uh, goal uh, description. And so that, that there would be that little wing half, and then there was the Man Mountain, Although you rightly pointed out that he was under six feet tall, Duncan Edwards. Yeah. So 
these two completely different players or with different attributes yes edwards had the skill but his power was uh, you know as described uh, in the bobby smith incident it could have happened um, because you know although bobby smith was a ferocious beast of a player with skill as well duncan wouldn't be expected to become off second best in any physical confrontation anywhere yeah. so you'd have those two different you'd have two different fullbacks you would um you you would have uh sometimes different different styles of wingers you'd have the directness of in past years charlie mitten and so on with with the craft of 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 others you would have you had it this season alone you had two outside lefts david Pegg and albert scanlon one from yorkshire one from from manchester and they were very very different players scanlon was raw pace and directness peg was all left elegant wand of a left foot so yeah, yeah, you did have a bit of everything, and I can see now from listening, from 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 reviewing that, that Manchester United had that flexibility and ability to change. Yes, if you played Wolves, you knew that the balls were going to be hit towards the corner flag, the wingers were going to get there. You might not be able to do anything about it, but at least you knew what they were going to be doing. Um, with Manchester United, clearly there was a much more flexibility in it and yet busby never ever confessed to that no he never he always said oh listen we 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 think about the game um but it's the ability of the players but there must have been more thought went into manchester united's football than even busby or murphy confessed to Absolutely. I, th I think one of the key things is from this season, because conscription and international duty, like I said in an earlier episode, international games were still sometimes held on the same day as a club game, yeah. so they would get precedent. So the, yeah. the key changes at this point were, were forced upon United, whereas over the long term, the benefits of that system where you were talking about coming up against teams with different styles, mm. that would be more evident in terms of they would... Busby's selection might be, you know, he might pick it based on the opposition, whereas at the moment it was basically forced upon him, but the players were that good that they were still able to come through it. Really, one of the, we were all jumping ahead to Munich and everything, but one of the great losses is not knowing how, how, how multifunctional that system would have been, really, you know. It's yes, yes. I, I mean, obviously, this is something we'll deal with in more detail. In when we get to the aftermath of uh, tragedy, but the um, already this 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 multifaceted uh, style of play, um, you know, one of the kids who came along uh, and who didn't make it was a, a young boy called Harold Riley, football mad kid who was in. In, incorporated into the from Salford I think who came into the United system and Harold went to Busby one day and said uh, you know I've been offered a place at the Slade School of Art in in London which was obviously not something that Busby had from his apprentices every day and uh, Busby thought about it and he said yes I'd, I'd take it up if I were you son and sure enough uh, Harold Riley became a very very distinguished painter and notably of portraits and uh, a great you know credit to, to the city of manchester in that field um but harold riley remained a friend of busby's and a, and a manchester united fan um and he he described this team that we're talking about now as he compared it with when a painter chances upon a magical combination of colors you know that sometimes i i didn't know this but uh, a painter sometimes he's dabbing away and he goes yes that's it and he felt that this yeah. looking back on this manchester united team that it was like that it was just you wouldn't it all somehow it all just the kaleidoscope it almost it suggests a kaleidoscope of colors and patterns 
and that's how, what he felt this Manchester United team was like. Yeah, and we'll talk about the the goal scoring influence of Taylor and Violet is prominent throughout the running, as is um, Bill Whelan, who's coming to the side now uh, inside forward. Jackie Blanchflower obviously done a, an admirable job in that position, but Whelan was more fit for purpose and it blended in perfectly. And he was scoring goals, and the team were just winning and winning and winning. Um, Edwards was imperious. The conversation now shifted. Everyone was sort of accepting that he was still only a teenager, still only nineteen. And the conversation was changing so much that they were talking about him in terms of being the greatest ever mm-hmm. already, weren't they? They were talking they yeah. were names like Tank and Atomic and everything like that. But they were saying there's no weakness in his game. The the comparison that I've had from people that I've talked to um, about Duncan is that he was basically Keane, Robson, Gerard, and then a little bit better on top of that, which is when you think about the qualities of those players. If, if you've got all those players without a weakness, then um, you've basically got the best midfielder of all time. Yes. I mean, it's um, everyone who who gets... Uh, and it, it did Phil Jones no favours. Phil, Phil Jones had the deep misfortune of coming to Manchester United and being big and good in various positions. Obviously, his career didn't develop... Um, in, in the way people expected in, in his youth, but it, it was unfortunate that because he was big and strong that people used the words Duncan Edwards in connection with him. And I think even you mentioned Brian Robson, absolute United legend and a great player, um, without question. But even he, um, people say, was he really as good as Duncan Edwards? You know, people of a certain age. So it, was he not a little bit too left-footed, you know, to be complete? You know, so the the legacy of Duncan Edwards is 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 that every player who's remotely compared with him um, sort of comes up comes up in second place. But you, I think that was you're quite right when you talk about um, the comparison with Keane, um, of the the blend of Keane Robson. And so on. From what I've seen in clips and what I've read of, of Duncan Edwards, and you'll know more because you've studied his life for a, a forthcoming biography. But the the it seems to me that he had that leadership of late period Keane, that yeah. ability to be the go-to player. Yeah. If you're in any trouble tight near the touchline, you give it to Roy. And he'll know what to do with it. He yeah. might only play a 10-yard pass, but it'll be the right one. He'll just give the team shape and I think Duncan Edwards had that quality that he was he was an outlet for any player anywhere on the park and um and a leader uh, and yet he had that Brian Robson-esque uh swashbuckling heroic uh, yeah. quality as well as described by Wilf even if you um, have to take a 10% off of VAT um, Edwards, um, 20%. Sorry, <laughs> maybe 20%. <laughs> um, the, the impact of it you mentioned that, that sort of calm Ed. I mean, yeah, he's making 30 year old Roy Keane decisions at the age of 19. That came from his education. The fact that when he was a schoolboy, because he was um, muscular and you know, physically above the other players, he was already honing the other talent, such as you know, working, making sure he was two footed, making sure that people didn't know, um, which yeah. was his natural yeah. before he came into the first team. But all the, the fundamentals of the game, in terms of um, being there for a teammate and everything, which really summed up Duncan's um, philosophy, it was the ultimate teammate as well. And so much so, in terms of this season, that it wasn't predominantly a left off. Sometimes you play inside forward with Busby not knowing where his best position was because when you've got a player that good, it's like, where do you put him in the side? Do you play yeah. him as a battering ram at number nine, which he played in one game? Do you play him inside forward in number 10 because United have got an embarrassment of riches? This was the kind of conundrum that Busby was uh, dealing with, but it, it was still a strong enough t- side while he was making these sort of alterations that he was running away with the title, which... Yeah. Um, it, it sort of came yeah. to a head. And, you know, Duncan it, Edwards was one of these rare footballers who fit the cricketing, the, the old-fashioned cricketing uh, definition of an all-rounder. The, yeah. the, the, cricket, the cricket fans always used to say that 
uh, to be a true all-rounder, uh, you have to be able to, you, you're worth your place in all of the positions you play individually. Even if you couldn't play in any of the others, you would be. Hence, Ian Botham, world-class batsman, world-class fielder, world-class um, bowler. Um, Garfield Silver is the great example. But if you, Duncan Edwards would be the best halfback, would be the best inside forward, would be, yeah, probably with practice, would have ended up the best centre forward in the country with all due respect to Tommy Taylor. So they, he was worth his place in the team in all of the positions in which he played. And there are very few players who fit that very not, very demanding cricketing uh, definition of the all-rounder. Duncan Edwards, John Charles would probably the great um, Welsh centre forward who became a legend at Juventus after leaving Leeds, uh, was equally good in defence and attack, or so they say. And, and he would be one of the few who could be mentioned in the same breath as Duncan Edwards in, in, in having this Superman quality of, of being able to play uh, and be the best player in the team in in, in, in attack or defence or whatever, midfield. Um, United, they're on this unstoppable run. They win against Newcastle 5-2 in a, a really great um, exhibition of attacking football. Yeah. To this um, occasion where they, they've come up against Blackpool, who were, were, of course, the opponents in the 1948 Cup final and um, the, the big challenges for the league title this time around. Nice bit of symmetry there for Busby and um, Old Trafford on the 7th of April. Um, United can clinch the title, Paddy, but one man is not well, there. Uh, yes, the um, absentee, conspicuous by his absence, uh, when you consider that already, as the match against Blackpool uh, is about to start, there are 63,000 nearly 63,000 in the ground and 10,000 outside. But they don't include Matt Busby because, unfortunately, Matt's wife, Jean, has lost um, her mother and Matt had accompanied her back to Scotland for the funeral. Um, the team was therefore in the very capable hands of Jimmy Murphy when they went out against Blackpool um on this this momentous day in april bear in mind man united this isn't the last game of the season but they can clinch the title ahead of the end of the season because they've been ahead since january 21 january 21 they um they regained the league title, which they briefly, uh, sorry, the league leadership, which they briefly lost, as I say, on January 21. And here we are in April. They're still top and they're well, well ahead. And um, they need to beat uh, Blackpool. It's a, 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 a nervous start. And Busby's listening to it. He's up in Scotland. He's on an open line to the press box. And uh, the, it's related to him that uh, Blackpool have taken the lead 1-0. Then uh, one of the promising lads, John Doherty, is brought down in the penalty area. And uh, although Roger Byrne normally takes the penalties, um, he, the captain chucks it to Johnny Berry. And Johnny Berry leathers it into the net for the equaliser. Uh, United's nerves have uh, eased. And with 10 minutes to go, um, the... Uh, winner is scrambled in, as you can see, there's a little bit of mud there, uh, scrambled in by Tommy Taylor, looking every worth every penny. In fact, you might almost say he's worth 30,000. Give him the, put the extra quid on his value because he scrambles in the winner that brings the title to Manchester United. Um, the trophy's not there because it's not the end of the season yet, um, but uh, look at those scenes of uh, of celebration yeah it's remarkable and fitting in a way that jimmy's the one looking after that because nine of the 11 of the babes that he has sort of come uh, brought through and if you sort of give him the credit for burnham wood as well but most of those plays he's it's most certainly developed um 
Yeah. We'll wrap up the league t- season before we talk about what happened two days after they won the title. Yeah, so you. we, yeah, you're not going to get away without, yeah, without <laughs> certain events following the, the title clinching. But yes, go on, let's la- wrap up the season. Yeah, and so they finish unbeaten for the rest of the campaign. The title is given to them in front of the... Um... It was after a 1-0 win over Portsmouth. And yeah, uh, Roger, Roger Byrne goes up to the director's box. Oh, look at that. The crowd... I mean, the pitch is just a sea of humanity. And uh, and Roger Byrne, I can't, I'm trying to look for him. I can't see him there. He's maybe already gone up to the director's box because there's some of the other lads watching their skipper go up there, collect the the, uh, the trophy. And uh, and there he is. There he is. And uh, Ray Wood to the left of him. And uh, I can't make them out. But, you know, there's... Paul Jones in there. You've got... Um... Oh, yeah. Mark Jones. Well, heavens, I'm glad you mentioned Mark Jones because uh, uh, Alan B. Who, Chilton has been, has now making his way in management. And uh, Mark Jones plays every game of this season at centre half. Big, solid uh, player, lovely lad from Yorkshire. Um, and, and what a contribution he has made to this title triumph. You know, a, a really, you know, Alan B. Chilton, United legend, and here's this worthy successor, Mark Jones. There he is, enjoying the, the celebrations of the title victory. And actually, I can see a few of the other lads behind them. There is a Johnny Berry in there, I don't know. Uh, but uh, absolutely, absolutely, and no question about it, by the way, um, the, um, the margin is 11 points, but that is the equivalent of 16 uh, beg your pardon, 17 points in modern football because only two for a win. So that's a a, a huge uh, margin of, of triumph for the Manchester United as champions. In fact, it's the biggest uh, margin of, for any championship side since Blackburn Rovers in 1913-14. One other statistic is that before Busby became manager, Manchester United had won the title twice, as you know. Uh, de- this is now marks a decade of Busby. This is 1956. He became manager. Well, not quite a decade, but it's it's coming up to a decade of Busby. And in a decade, he has equaled the history of previous history of Manchester United by winning his second title for the club. Um, a, a, a great achievement. And the celebrations uh, go on. Yeah, um, let's go back, Paddy. You've got to talk about um, a great achievement for your own. Almost almost forgot. Um, (laughs) After the title clinching game, although not the end of the season, the team go up to join Busby, who's in Scotland with Gene, for the funeral. And they play two friendlies. And the first one is at Dundee, which is my club. And uh, the score is... And it's on the Monday, so it's only two days after the triumph. And it's Dundee 5, Manchester United 1. Now, there's no shame in that way. To any of all the Man United fans who are listening and watching to, watching us, there is absolutely no shame. To lose 5-1 at Dundee is almost an achievement. Uh, this <laughs> great club, the greatest club, not only in Scotland, not only in Britain, but in the world. Uh, I, I believe it or not, I'm a Dundee supporter, um, but that's pure coincidence. Anyway, United recover from this. Uh, listen, if I'm honest, if I'm absolutely honest, I think the celebrations of the title may have had something to do with the result. But that's 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 only me being fair. United go on to meet a smaller club called Celtic in another friendly. Um, before they go back to Manchester to complete the season. And they draw two all with this little club called Celtic. So that kind of puts it in, in a bit more perspective. But anyway, they, they complete the season with a 1-0 win over Portsmouth. And, and what a great season it's been, not only for United, but uh, for the uh, for the city of Manchester. Yeah, we'll come to that in a moment. I'll just run through yeah. the squad as usual. Um, cup di- disappointment for United. They lose... Um, 4-0 to Bristol Rovers in the third round, which is quite infamous, yeah. really. A lot of the Bristol players... Funny, funny how, how 
the an early exit from the cup can help your league season. It certainly did feel like it this season because obviously they went unbeaten from from February. They went um, and just sort of stormed to the title. Um, but a couple of those Bristol players in the the team that day, uh, United lost without Duncan Edwards, who was on army duty. And um, the, so a couple of the Bristol players would later admit that they would rather faced Edwards and lost than have um, had the wins. Mm. Well, but I think that I think they would really rather have had the win. Um, mm. They did get some consolation United in the FA Youth Cup. Um, they won again against Chesterfield. This is now the second great youth side, if you can believe it. Wolf McGuinness, as we'll talk about in a moment, and as we've already talked about quite often, he's the standout in Duncan's number six shirt in the left half position and the forward line, as impressive as it's ever been at that level. Kenny Morgans, Mark Pearson, Alex Dawson, and Bobby Charlton, all of whom will um, come to yeah. well, Mark, Mark, Mark Pearson and Alex Dawson had come from the England youth team and United, such was Joe Armstrong's mastery of the scouting thing that, and, and Busby's as well, and Murphy. It's, it's, it, you, it would have been unusual if two of the England schoolboys had not ended up at Old Trafford. You know, it was just, it just seemed a natural progression. Yeah, and yeah, that's a, a sort of byproduct of the success that United were having as well. We talked about how that helped convince McGuinness to come to Old Trafford in the first place. Now he was having a snowball effect on that as well. They were able to convince yeah. the um, top stars in the country. Yeah, let, let's run through the squad statistics then. Um, in goal, Walt Wires isn't the goalkeeper, but he's the first um, debutant of this season. So in goal, you've got Ray Wood, who makes 41 appearances in all competitions, 42 in all competitions, 41 in the league. Jack Crompton makes his final appearance for the club, just a single appearance this <coughs> season in the league, um, which is in October, I believe, against Huddersfield. United um, win 3-0 on that occasion, so he keeps clean sheet in his final of the game. Jack Crompton, um, a, an incredible servant for the club and someone who will appear very shortly in this uh, thing. He's not, he's not gone just yet. Um, Jeff Bent, the standing fullback, uh, left-back, plays four games. Uh, Roger Byrne, um, the club captain, 39 in all appearances, 14 all appearances, three goals in the league, 39 league appearances. Bill Folks, the right back, 26 league appearances, 27 in all competitions, no goals. It'll become a running theme through Bill Folks' career that he doesn't score many. Um, Ian Greaves, a standing fullback, who we mentioned, came into the side last season, 15 appearances, uh, mostly at right back this time round. Um, Eddie Coleman, um, we'll talk about him in a moment, but let's talk about Walter Whitehurst first of all, um, who is on screen. Right off, he makes one single appearance for the club in a September defeat at Everton. He was rewarded for a good run in the reserves, um, but he was displaced by um, Jeff Whitefoot, who was normally the right off in that team, and almost immediately by Eddie Coleman, as we'll come on to in a moment. But the other halfbacks, as I said, Whitehurst, just one single appearance this season. Jeff Whitefoot, 15 appearances, 16 in the league. And then you've got Freddie Goodwin with eight appearances and uh, no goals, but those appearances all in the league. Um, Duncan Edwards, um, imperious in 33 appearances in all competitions, which is basically 33 in the league and three goals because obviously the FA Cup was just a single appearance and he wasn't in it. Um, Mentioned Freddie Goodwin, Jackie Blanche Flower, we'll talk about um, playing predominantly in the halfback line this time round. 18 appearances and three goals in the league. And we'll get to Eddie Coleman then uh, now. Yeah. Uh, so Coleman, Paddy, he usurped Whitehurst and Whitefoot. So first of all, he usurps Whitehurst in the reserve team. Mm -hmm. But he only plays a handful of games in the reserve team. And this is like a guy who. Let's talk about him. His United yeah. career is almost an accident because he was sports mad as a kid. He always played football or cricket, but he mm -hmm. always used to joke that he played football to make up the numbers. And that's exactly what he was doing in a game for Salford Boys at the Cliff. He was mm -hmm. making up the numbers, or so he thought. But the people watching that day had quite a different impression. You had Matt Busby and Jimmy Murphy who liked him so much that they made the advances to sign him straight away. They, they actually yeah. couldn't believe that this guy had gone unnoticed for so long. I mean, he was only a very small lad, and that's probably where the other coaches, other football coaches in the area, expressed yeah. reservations about him. Um, reservations which were quickly alleviated when, as you discussed earlier on, 
Yeah. It's apparent how well style complemented that of Duncan Edwards. So even mm. playing through the reserve teams, he'd been doing very well. Yeah. But perhaps because of the fact he played so well with Edwards in the reserve in the, in the youth team, yeah. they start to think, well, he, he doesn't really need this education through the youth and the, the reserve team. Yeah. And he skips that thing. He came into the first team and he was. Um, I, bet, I bet that you could, uh, although different in physique and, and, and attributes, you could make a comparison with Roger Byrne that Busby and Murphy saw through the faults yeah. or, the, or the apparent shortcomings and saw a great player. And they, you know, a, a, a really top player. I don't mean one who might be worth a chance, but a really top player. They, they seem to have had a clarity of vision with certain players. Yeah. And Eddie Coleman was definitely one because, as you rightly say, Jeff Whitefoot was 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 the man in possession. Um, one or two people, John Giles had come to the club, you know, for school holidays from uh, from Dublin, and he thought Whitefoot was was much better than Coleman, um, and he was to prove a fair old judge of a footballer in later life. But John Giles, as a as a kid, thought thought Whitefoot was was. was was great and uh, and and was the better of the two. But Whitefoot, there was a game I can't remember who it was against. It was against Arsenal, and Busby said, you know, picked Whitefoot, which was quite normal, and Whitefoot had the flu, and he didn't tell Busby, and he played with flu. And he had a terrible game. Now, this is by his own admission. He, he admitted he should never have played. He said, I was a fool. And this was the signal for Busby to go by his instinct about Coleman. And Coleman came in for the next game. was absolutely brilliant. I think it was a draw. I can't remember who it was against. But it was obvious that Coleman was in there to, in there to stay. And poor Jeff Whitefoot, who had appeared to be on the threshold of a fantastic Manchester United career, never played another league game. I think he played in that game at Bristol. Uh, I think that was his only game. And in the rest of his Man United career, he went on to have a, a very good career, not in Forest and places, but, uh, but never played again in a league match for Manchester United because Coleman you know, had just taken that shirt and obviously wasn't going to let it go. Yeah. Whitefoot, by the way, we should, um, while we're hypothesising what it could have been, I mean, United could have easily won the league title with him right off. They were good yeah. enough to do that. Oh, yeah. It just yeah. shows how good Coleman was. He was unbelievable. Um, what the thing was about, perhaps it was, and, and don't get me wrong, anyone who knows anything about Eddie Coleman will um no, immediately one of the things that people talk about is is his cocksure attitude. Is that really Salford, um, Salford yeah. that, that bravado that he had? But yeah. he also, in sort of perhaps, I don't know what it was, but he just appreciated his own limitations. You had the likes of Whitefoot, who were probably arguably more confident as a footballer, but mm -hmm. Coleman's attitude um, was to be a. He, he sort of thought, no, I'm, I'm going to come in. I'm just going to be a disciplined foil. Alongside Edwards, um, and once he was in, like you said, he was always um, first choice. There, um, often partnered by Jackie Blankflower, who, like I said, moved into that halfback line. Sometimes he had been playing it inside forward, but United mm -hmm. now have Violet and they have Whelan and other players breaking through who can play in that position. Blankflower, we talked about in the very first introduction for him into the first team. Mm -hmm. He was he was versatile anyway. He can play centre half. He can play halfback, yeah. which was occasionally happening with Edwards, um, either off duty or um, playing inside forward. And in fact, Blanche Flower's versatility was what really proved the key ingredient for Busby to try Edwards in different formations because he now had yeah. the experience to play in different areas. So um, while we're talking about Edwards and saying, oh, he had this unstoppable potential, it's worth commenting on the likes of Jackie Blanchflower and, and the sort of, I wouldn't say sacrifice, but you might liken it to um, the way that Wayne Rooney moved positions when Ronaldo was becoming the star of the side. 
and not not really the same kind of thing, but you'll see where I'm coming from in terms of yeah. power moving around so that Edwards can find his true position um, there. Um, the other player to mention, really, and we'll talk about all the players in a moment, but Jackie Scott, I do want to mention him. He only makes three appearances for the club, two that were a number of episodes ago, in this over three years ago, really. Um, he plays his third and last game at Preston this season. He plays outside right with Johnny Berry out. Um, Eddie Lewis scores in a 3-1 win for Preston that day, um, which is United's last league defeat of the season. And the 10 Busby babes in the team, which is just remarkable. Um, Jackie Scott leaves to play for Grimsby and York and Margate. He was even called up for the Northern Ireland squad for the 1958 World Cup. Um, after retiring, he became a labourer and he, he was killed in a building site accident in 1978, age 44. Um, some tragedy there for Jackie Scott. Just a handful of games there, but shows the um, quality of the United's uh, forward line, which I'll talk about now, uh, having gone back through that half-back line. Johnny Berry, the um, the prominent force on the left-hand side, four goals in 34 in the league, 35 appearances in all competitions. John Doherty, um, four goals in 16 appearances in the league, 17 in all appearances. Eddie Lewis, before his transfer, plays four games and scored a single goal. And now you've got David Pegg, who has, um, after a couple of seasons of trying to sort of get that physicality, and you know, Paddy talks about his elegance, his grace, was it, was, did he have the physical stature to handle the first division? Well, now he does. He's, he makes 36 appearances in all competitions, 35 in the league, scoring nine goals. Albert Scanlon is capable foil, um, six goals, uh, six games in the league and one appear, uh, one goal. Up front, you've got Tommy Taylor, um, who's the um, prominent goal scorer, scoring the goals which clinches, clinches the league as well. 25 goals in 34 games, um, 33 of those in the league. Dennis Filer, the second goal scorer. And really, it's, I mean, if you look at the goals, Peg with nine is the one who chips in with most after Taylor and Violet. Taylor, 25, I said, Violet, 20 in um, in the league in 34 appearances. Um, and Colin Webster and Willie Whelan coming in with four, four goals in 15 and 13 games, respectively. So four goals each, I should say, as well. So they, they're having their um, input into the side. Uh, a really good... Squad contribution United have got um, just numbers all over the pitch. And now that we're introducing two or three players, but you can see the predominant number of babes in that side is quite ridiculous. And you can even see now, um, this is how the, the team looks, as Paddy was saying earlier, a significant um, transition from the 1952 title winning side. Nine players have moved around there, only very and Burn remain. You've got you could even move Blanchflower out of this team and put Whelan in because he was moving in as the um yeah. the player in towards the, the last part, part of this season. Um so that's United's team. And we talked about earlier on with the multifunctionality of you might put a Blanchflower in the half back line or you might put Scanlon on the left and it's a little bit different. Um United just had all these complementary styles and it's seamless. There wasn't like a jarring um, dropping performance when players were moving inside, it was, it was um, a beautiful yeah. running system for United. It, it, it was, and and I just uh, just one thing that that you, you could mention there. You've got Dennis Violet <coughs> uh, at, at inside forward, but of course he would link with Taylor, yeah. where Blanche Flower would, would wouldn't wouldn't join the attack. So he, he would link with Taylor to create to create a four man attack. So. Um, you know that there, there was that flexibility in it. Um, in fact, often you found it in one of the inside forwards would, would would act as a second striker, and the combination between Taylor and Violet was probably the highlight of the of the season. We haven't mentioned it yet, but it was a it was a huge factor in that title win. I mean, you you'll know how many goals they scored between them, but uh, it was it was a huge. Sorry. 45. Well, that that doesn't surprise me, and 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 that's um, this combination had become absolutely lethal. Taylor, I suppose you would be would be the bludgeon to Violet's rapier, but of course, um, Taylor had uh, had skill and intelligence as well. So they were a formidable combination and, a, and, a, and an absolute nightmare for um, 
but opposing centre halves. Yeah. Um, key results from this season. Um, just to go over the colours again. I, I always want to redress that, even though they haven't changed the red at home kit, the the blue away kit, and the United review, as we posted in one of the earlier episodes, mm-hmm. is still the um, the match mm-hmm. program. The the handshake. Yeah. Throughout this season, they put pen picks on the the cover, so you'd have two two of the first team players, probably with the the crowd still trying to get to know them really because they were still so young. Um, so they'd be um, they'd have a picture of let's say Duncan Edwards and Jackie Blanchflower on the cover, um, so you could get familiar with them. Um, although, as we said in earlier episodes, the youngsters of the the local estate would definitely familiarise themselves hanging outside the likes of Duncan Edwards and Diggs and stuff like that. Um, the key results this season, the, the two games against Wolves, they won 4-3 um, in earlier in the season and they, they win 2-0 at Molyneux in February. Taylor gained both goals. Like you said, the £30,000 man, let alone the 29999 man. And obviously the key result um, overall being the 2-1 win over Blackpool, which delivers the league title. Um, a little note of um, tradition here. John Aston is awarded a testimonial in late April, Paddy, just after the league season competition. Yes. Um, he, he brings an all-star 11 to Old Trafford. And we say all-star, that is a pretty... When you look at the British names that are in that side, a lot of them familiar to us. Um, we've got Frank Swift, who um, Busby had wanted, Carey, Coburn... Morris, Pearson, Rowley, a few familiar names in there. But in the off-back line, you've got Tommy Duckett um, playing for uh, the John Aston team. I've also got Tom Finney, Nat Lofthouse in there as well. An incredible team. But United um, win 2-1 on the day. Um, so it shows you the quality of the babes coming through even against a team like that. Um, United, United, United fans turned out in force. There's 40,000 there. <laughs> to pay tribute to John Aston, which underlines what they felt about his contribution to the club in in the Busby era. Yeah, one of the biggest gates of the season as well. That um, United went on a post-season tour to Scandinavia, and we will discuss this in the next episode. But they went on the first official pre-season as well. Yeah. Um, we've yeah. talked about the post-season tours, but they're actually doing some pre-season preparation, which we'll discuss in the next episode. Um, mm-hmm. As we wrap up, Paddy, talk about what happened elsewhere in football and yeah. the continental aspects of the game is really coming yeah. to the fore. Yes, it, it has very much so. <clears throat> because it, it, I mentioned before, it being a great um, season for, uh, you know, obviously United especially, but for the city of Manchester, because Manchester City have break um newcastle's sort of virtual stranglehold on the fa cup by um winning uh, uh by beating newcastle in the fa cup final and um during that match bert Troutman, who a former prisoner of war german prisoner of war um, who has now become a, a worthy successor to the aforementioned frank swift great friend of busby and uh, much coveted by him uh, uh, as a goalkeeper, Troutman is very much in the line of, of, of Swift, a dominant goalkeeper, but he's, he's injured in the cup final. It's later discovered that he played on with a broken neck. He thought it was a bad headache. and um, But it was only the following day that it was diagnosed with uh, as a broken neck. And um, he was voted uh, player of the year, footballer of the year, should I say. And uh, this was in succession to Don Reedy, another Manchester City player. So it was a good period for City as well. And it was interesting that at the same time as English football was honouring a German player, that the uh, Europeans, in particular the, the, the French, launched the first Ballon d'Or. And the footballer chosen as the European footballer of the year was an Englishman, Stanley Matthews. So it kind of all serves to talk about the Europeanization of football, which, of course, Busby craved and Manchester United were very keen to get involved in. Um, the European Cup had begun in this season. Uh, Real Madrid won the final. And the, the following season, on the face of it, Manchester United had now, by winning the league, qualified for the European Cup. 
Now, that was no easy task because the FA had prevented Chelsea from taking part in the first one that, that Real Madrid won. So in the next episode, we're going to find out whether Manchester United, having conquered England, can now be, win themselves a chance to conquer Europe. But we'll see. That's for the next episode, isn't it, Wayne? Absolutely. And as you can tell from the episodes that we've done, it's very much part of Busby's vision to to test United against the um, best elite teams around the world. So we will indeed see how that um, transpires. If you're watching the video, please give it a like and subscribe. And as I said, join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back next time to talk about the next chapter in the glorious bouncing. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.